Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. I'm probably the only one who's noticed this, and, and you guys can let me know um, if I am the only one, but things seem a little tense out there. Things, things seem a little tense out there in the world. There's a lot of hostility in our society right now, in our country. The division seems to be getting stronger and stronger. There's not only hostility and, and verbal attacks against people, but, but now we see violence occurring in cities and, and in streets. And it's disturbing and it's, and it's saddening uh, to see what's happening in our country. It seems like civil discourse is a term that our children are going to have to Google at some point in time. That, that soon, uh, like VHS and 8-track, uh, civil discourse is going to be a thing of the past that, that future generations will have to ask other generations about. You, you mean you guys used to debate ideas? Uh, you, you mean you used to sh- be able to share your opinion in this thing called a marketplace of ideas? Uh, and, and so as I was considering these things this week, I, I decided that if I were a cartoon artist for a newspaper, uh, I, I would have created a cartoon with a tombstone that said public discourse on it, and I couldn't decide what year I would put on that tombstone. Uh, but I did find this, uh, a shattered window representing civil public discourse, and, and I don't know if you can see it or not, but on the brick is tied the label extremist wing nuts, and they're the ones that are shattering civil public discourse. Um, but if everyone who is shattering a civil public discourse right now is a right-wing or a extremist left-wing right-wing wingnut then we are a country of extremist wingnuts um, because everyone is a little on edge everyone is a little too tense and, and as I looked at this closely I realized that this cartoon is actually from 2010 uh, so we've been on this trend uh, where civil public discourse and debate and the exchange of ideas in the marketplace has been on a downward uh, spiral. And hostility and division have been increasing uh, at a rapid degree. And I think what, what we need to know as followers of Jesus, what, what we, I hope, want to know as those who name the name of Christ in a setting like the one we find ourselves in today, is how how can we live faithfully as believers? How can we live faithfully as representatives of Christ and of the church in this atmosphere where two sides are seemingly at war and everyone seems to be taking sides? How can we be faithful to the Prince of Peace in the midst of such a war? What ultimately are the things that we should stand for? Today we're going to do our best to answer those questions. 
And we're going to do it by looking at a passage out of uh, the first of the four Gospels, out of the book of Matthew, in chapter 23. Uh, This passage that we will examine in part is Jesus' final public discourse. Uh, He's in Jerusalem. He's in the area of the temple, the temple courtyard, and, and a great crowd has gathered. And, and among the crowd are his disciples and also the scribes and the Pharisees of the day. And we read in verses 1 through 3 of Matthew 23, uh, Matthew writes, Then Jesus said to these crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. Uh, The scribes were the official teachers of the law during Jesus' day. They would would sit down to teach in the synagogues, and and that place where they sat was known as Moses' seat, as they would teach from the law of Moses. And the Pharisees were those who were responsible for interpreting and and explaining the requirements of the Old Testament law for the people of Israel. And Jesus says, listen to what they teach because it's for Moses, but do not follow their example in life because they're hypocrites. They don't practice what they preach. Jesus goes on in this chapter Uh, to pronounce seven woes or seven condemnations on these Jewish leaders. Uh, And amongst these condemnations, he uses the word hypocrite in addressing them seven times. Uh, So seven times he condemns the religious leaders of the day who stand before him. Seven times he calls them hypocrites. Seven times he explains everything that they are doing wrong. And I think we can understand why this was Jesus' final public discourse before he was eventually arrested and crucified by his opponents. The six of these seven woes uh, that we won't discuss today uh, involve things like shutting people out of the kingdom. Uh, Rather than being representatives of the kingdom of God, that they were actually keeping people out rather than welcoming them in. Uh, that, that they would spend great effort to go and make a, uh, a proselyte or to evangelize or convert someone, but through their teaching and through their lifestyle, they would actually make them twice as much a hypocrite as they were. Uh, they used their own teachings of man to subvert God's teaching on oaths that they would uh, focus on ceremonial cleanliness, but they would neglect the inner righteousness of the person. They would be concerned more with outward appearances and use outward appearance and outward displays of being religious to cover up what was actually taking place inside. And finally, that they would condemn and kill the prophets of God that were sent to them. With these condemnations, it's easy to see why the Pharisees sought to eliminate Jesus. 
And we're going to focus on what would be the fourth woe in this passage. We find it in verses 23 and 24 of Matthew chapter 23. Matthew, in quoting Jesus, writes this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, he calls them, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The Pharisees were responsible for interpreting Scripture and and they would expound upon what Moses had written and try to take it into every detail of life. And you can see in this passage that they had taken the concept of tithing and taken it down to the most minute element of it. That it was not just uh, tithing of their fruits and their crops, but, but actually tithing of the herbs that would grow in their garden. They were focused on the minutiae And Jesus says that they have missed the weightier things. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. He he likens uh, their behavior to straining out a gnat, but in the process ending up swallowing a camel. You see, the gnat and the camel were both unclean for Israelites according to the law. And Jesus says that as they are managing to try to keep a gnat out of their drink, uh, that they are actually ending up swallowing a camel. This idea of the weightier matters of the law is actually a prominent theme in the Old Testament. Uh, That it was common for the people of God to get focused on ritual, uh, the demands of religion and ritual, and miss completely the heart of God or the emphasis of the law of God on more important matters. Uh, in Hosea 6.6 6 is a passage that Jesus quotes two times in Matthew's gospel. Uh, in, in a setting in, in which he was eating with tax collectors and sinners and the, and the Pharisees and the scribes were bothered by that and wondered why this man who claimed to be a, a man of God would, would uh, fraternize with people of this type. Jesus responds and says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That they were focused on religious rules and missing the heart of God. Proverbs 21, verse 3, says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And finally, in Isaiah 58, 6, the prophet Isaiah in addresses the, uh, the practice of fasting and missing the heart of God. He says, is this not the fast that I choose? Right? It's not to just look glum and go without food for a day, but it's to loose the bonds of wickedness. It's to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every bond. So it's possible for religious people in their pursuit of religion, in their practice of it, to miss the actual heart of God 
from which all of it derives. So what are these weightier matters of the law? Jesus says the first of them is justice. And what is justice? Well, justice is the administration of what is right and fair. The administration of what is right and fair. You know, we've raised four children. And I can tell you personally that children have an acute sense of what is right and fair. And they will let you know quite vocally anytime that they detect something that is not right, something that is not fair, an injustice that has been perpetrated on them. Uh, Gary Haugen of International Justice Mission jokes in his book called Just Courage that if you wanted to teach a group of six-year-olds math, all you would have to do is distribute snacks among the group unevenly. And soon the children, with no previous exposure to math or division, multiplication, addition, subtraction, or equations of any kind, would immediately come up with the justification for why this distribution of snacks was uneven. He goes on to say that after they had debated it among themselves and and those with the greater snacks explained why it was okay for them and those with the younger snacks explained why it was not okay, that a thorough presentation would be made at his desk, an oral report on the equations and the justification for why this injustice could not be allowed. Children, all of us, are born with an acute sense of what is right, an acute sense of what is fair among the human family. There are nine words that are most frequently associated with the word justice in Scripture. And those nine words are widow, fatherless, orphans, poor, hungry, stranger, needy, weak, and oppressed. Do you want to know who it is that God desires, longs for, and desires to execute justice for? It is people like these. People who are vulnerable because of the station in life or the position that they find themselves in. Uh, Once again, Gary Haugen in his book, Just Courage, with International Justice Mission, writes this. Uh, He says, The vast majority of injustice and violence oppressing the poor is not driven by the overwhelming power of the perpetrators. Uh, It's not because the powerful are powerful that the majority of injustice occurs. The majority of injustice occurs because of the utter vulnerability of the oppressed, the utter vulnerability of the victims. Because when you are not strong enough, because when you are not connected enough, or when you are not wealthy enough, you are vulnerable to injustice. This injustice is evident in places like Central America, where poor victims of sexual assault find themselves with little recourse 
for justice against the perpetrators. Where, where families in, in poor areas are subject to uh, people and, and groups that would come in and pretend to want their daughters for marriage. And in the desire to give them a better life, will give them away to a man who desires not to marry them and honor them and love them, uh, but to sell them and traffic them and abuse them. Such families have little recourse against the perpetrators. We see it in places like Africa, where poor widows who need the land that they have inherited, the land that they own for their very survival, are subject to have it stolen from them with little recourse. We see it in places like India, where a firmly entrenched caste system keeps people in places of victimization, where things like literacy rates expose them to those who would perpetrate injustice. And this is why many of the ministries that we participate, that we cooperate with, to go out into the world, pursue causes like justice. One of our partnerships is with an organization called Mission India. Over the last few years, so far, we've sponsored two adult literacy programs and are in the middle of our third adult literacy program. Uh, these are year-long programs in which mostly women but some men uh, are able to come and attend class five nights a week for an entire year. A place where women, 33% of women are illiterate, or 33% of women can read and write. Where literacy and illiteracy are significant issues, groups like Mission India go in and give these people an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to be engaged, an opportunity to be equipped to defend for themselves and, and provide for their families. In these groups, they, they not only learn to read, they not only learn to do math and how to properly exchange money without getting cheated, but they learn important life skills as well. Uh, in the reports that we receive, uh, both midterm and at the end of the program, uh, we get the results and, and learn things that many in the group have stopped encouraging things like child marriage, uh, have ended reliance on child labor in their work, that they've begun sending their children to school, that they've seen and learned that the value of a, of a daughter is the same as the value of a son. In our first class that we sponsored, 86% of the students graduated from the class a year later and saw average daily wage increases of $2.20. In a country where the average income per person is somewhere around $3. An increase of $2.20, an increase of 50% in household income is significant and helps to take them out of places of vulnerability to injustice. We also partner with groups like Fuel the Mission, uh, an organization right here in our very own church uh, that goes into the slum communities, into the areas where the lowest cast members live and they put on soccer clubs and sports camps for these kids 
uh, where boys like the ones that you see here and girls can hear of the love of God for the first time. Uh, that the people at the bottom rung of the social caste can hear for the first time that there's a God who loves them, who created them in his image. And girls, uh, for the first time, are invited to camp where they can play and be a child. Some things that are frowned upon in the society in which they live. You know, this sense of justice is based on the image of God that resides in every person. We learn in the, in the book of Genesis that, that God has created every person in his image, that we are all image bearers of God, and therefore we are worthy of dignity and respect and have value. That regardless of nationality, religion, skin color, or sexual orientation, we are all created in his image. That there's no room for racism, hate, discrimination, or oppression. It's hard for us sometimes in a place like Scottsdale to relate to the injustice that's not only in the world but around us. As I was reading about injustice in places like India and Africa, I happened to be in a Starbucks and I saw Scottsdale injustice with my own eyes. As a man came in very upset that his drink had been uh, (laughs) prepared wrongly in the drive-thru and that the reason he had gone through the drive-thru was so that he didn't have to park and come inside. But because of this deep injustice, now he did have to park. He did have to come inside. Sadly, in a world of injustice, for many people, that is their deepest sense of injustice. But recent events in our country have reminded us once again that there are those who would desire to perpetrate injustice against people among us. That there are people who would do harm. People full of hate. I was reminded I was on a I was reminded this week about an event that occurred on a flight I was on a handful of years ago. I was sitting in my seat getting ready to take off and and I just did something simple that I do frequently in those situations. I saw a woman coming down the aisle with bags and got up out of my seat to help her put her bags in the overhead bin. And when the flight landed, I got up out of my seat once again and, and retrieved the bags out of the overhead compartment for this African-American woman who was seated in front of me. Uh, thinking nothing of it, I, I prepared a, a D-plane and proceed to do so. And, and on the jetway, an African-American gentleman catches up to me and thanks me. Thanks me for something so simple. Uh, and then he said this. <clears throat> he said, you don't realize, but you just restored my faith and hope in humanity. As he walked away, I wondered, where is this man from? What is his experience? Because if something as simple as that can restore his hope and faith in humanity, then he is seeing and experiencing some very grievous things.
But we, as followers of Christ, as members and and partners in the kingdom of God, for us there can be no room for hate, no room for discrimination of any kind. We must be rooted in an understanding that every person is created in the image of God and that he's a God of justice. Jesus goes on that the weightier matters of the law are not only justice, but also mercy. And what is mercy? Mercy is kindness or concern expressed for someone in need. Hendrickson writes in his commentary on Matthew, he says the combination of justice and mercy here in this passage here in the words of Jesus means the exercise of fairness and helpfulness with respect to the neighbor. And for many of us, when we hear the word neighbor, we're quickly transported to Jesus and his discussion with a lawyer about the parable of the Good Samaritan, about who is his neighbor? Uh, To whom is he required to show the love of God? And Jesus tells him the story about a man who fell among robbers. He was beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road, and, and three men come by. Uh, the first two see him, but they, they pass by, and then a third man comes along, a, a Samaritan. Uh, you could picture this in our society, that, that there's a, a, a conservative or a liberal on the ground, and a conservative or a liberal, the opposite is the one who comes along and renders his aid. And then Jesus goes on and he asks this man in Luke chapter 10, verse 36, he says, He asks the man, he says, which of these do you think? Based upon this story that you have heard, which of these do you think? And notice his wording. Proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the man said, I suppose the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, you are correct. Go and do likewise, and you will live. Our ministries that we partner with and participate in seek to go out with mercy in our world as well. Sometimes mercy looks like this. Our groups that were in Tanzania recently came upon a family that was sick. Uh, Seated there, you have a mother cradling one of her children uh, and another child seated next to her. And this group of missionaries is there praying with them. Uh, The entire family was sick and had been sick for some time. But our group was able to pray for them, to give them some basic medication that all of us have access to on a regular basis. And when, when they return three weeks later, the sorrow and the pain and the sadness seen in this photo was replaced with smiles and joy uh, as health had replaced sickness due to the act of mercy. Uh, Sometimes mercy looks like this. This is the palliative care unit that Ubia Ministries, uh, based right here out of North Bible Church, is in the process of constructing and, and we're partnering with them so that they can have a place where people who don't have access to medical care, who are sick, who are dying, 
who are in their final stages of life can receive medical care, can receive pain relief, something to help them, an act of mercy. Sometimes mercy looks like this. It's a drill site in Guatemala where people answer the call to go and provide clean water for people who have never had access to it. Uh, to be a visible reminder that the God who loves them and provides for them uh, has sent people from his own family uh, to serve them, provide for them, to love them and share the gospel with them. So Jesus says these weightier matters are justice and mercy and faithfulness. You know, this combination may remind you of a very well-known verse, Micah 6.8 in the Old Testament, where the prophet Micah asked the question, what, what does the Lord require of you? And then he answers it, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Faithfulness means walking humbly with the Lord. It means that we are loyal first to Him above all other things. That to reflect His heart, uh, to pursue His kingdom is our first priority. And that as people of God, we are committed to pursuing justice and mercy. On the topic of justice, Erdman's Bible Dictionary says this. It says, Moreover, justice is the responsibility of all in the covenant community. Their experience of God's gracious salvation demands in response that they show justice to others. To do justice means to vindicate the cause of the poor and oppressed by heeding their cry, knowing their rights, and being their help to show an impartiality not favoring the rich and to care for the hungry, the thirsty, and the naked. It's better than sacrifices. For without it, sacrifices, Sabbaths, fasts, Bible studies, and all other religious duties are worthless. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness are the responsibility of all who name the name of Christ. So what does this mean for us? What are our takeaways from this passage? I think the first one for me is just how easy it is for me to get focused on the minutiae to get focused on religious habits and without even realizing it, end up neglecting the things that are truly close to the heart of God. Things like justice and mercy. In his final statement to the scribes and the Pharisees in our passage today, he calls them blind guides. They were blind. They couldn't see the kingdom. 
things that were right in front of them, things that should have been apparent and clear and easy for them to see, were invisible to them. They missed it completely. The reality for us is that there are a lot of blind guides out there. There are a lot of blind guides that are clamoring for your loyalty, that are clamoring for you to get in line behind them and pursue what they are pursuing. But the question is, are they pursuing the kingdom? Are they pursuing Christ? Are they pursuing being a city on a hill, a place of refuge, a place of justice and mercy? Are they pursuing a different kingdom? Are they pursuing their own kingdom, their own security, and their own brand of justice? For us, for followers of Christ, we need to look at every issue, every topic not through a lens of conservative or liberal, not through a lens of Republican or Democrat, but through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the heart of God for men and women who have been created in His image, for men and women who are suffering injustice because of their nationality, because of their poverty, because of the color of their skin or because of sexual orientation, whatever it is, we, as the followers of Jesus, if, if justice and mercy and faithfulness are the weightier matters of the law, then we, more than anyone, should be pursuing those things and pursuing them for His kingdom, for His glory. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you the way it speaks to our hearts, it speaks to our day, it speaks to the times in which we live. Lord, we lift up our country to you. A country that in my lifetime has never been so divided. A country that has never been so hostile and volatile. And Lord, we pray for peace. We pray for the love of God to be poured out on this nation. We pray for righteousness to stand up. You tell us in Isaiah 58 that if we pursue justice and mercy for the oppressed, that then our light will shine in the darkness. So Father, give us a heart after yours. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, We'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. You know, it's interesting that we would be talking about this, uh, what's the conclusion of our series called No Place Like Home? Uh, you know, our desire is that people from every 
tribe and tongue and nation would have a place at the table, would be invited and welcomed into the kingdom of God. And and that's exactly what we see in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. It's written, As to this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, a God of justice and mercy, a God who desires all to come home. My prayer for you this week is that you would have opportunity to reflect as I have been, on on where justice needs to penetrate deeper into my heart, uh, deeper into my life, ways in which the cause of mercy needs to have a a stronger and a larger place uh, in my life and in my love for others. And I pray that's your experience this week as well. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We love you.